Good morning, everyone. I'm seeing some waves from near the back, which means that some folks are hearing me. It's great. Waiting as, as folks are filtering in. Good morning. And uh, let me uh, welcome you very, very warmly uh, to uh, Hebron this morning. My name's Johnny. I'm the pastor here. And um, we're really delighted to have you with us for this Sunday morning service. As um, you may have gathered already uh, from the, the, the liberal scattering of, of wise men and um, shepherds throughout, that isn't a normal Sunday for us. And um, this is going to be a slightly different than a usual Sunday morning service here at Hebron. The most part of our time together will be taken um, by our children and young people in our nativity. Uh, and then after that, as they get changed, I'll come back to give a short talk near the end of the service. Before all of that, though, uh, I'm just going to pray for our time together before we sing a carol and uh, things proceed from there. So let me pray for us before we um, go any further. Our God and Father, we thank you for the joy it is to gather together as a church family this morning of all ages and backgrounds and experiences and to do so to celebrate the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that all that is said would honor you and would remind us of quite how wonderful that coming of Jesus Christ really is. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to begin together by singing a carol once in Royal David's City. And if you're able, please let me encourage you to stand as the musicians play an introduction and then we'll sing together.
I shouldn't have run after a wayward wise man there. I'm out of breath. <laughs> well, we're here. The Nativity play is here. This is a day that takes forever to come, but also comes far too quickly. <laughs> um, this year, our Sunday school have been so busy doing their lessons that they have only had two weeks of rehearsals. So we thought that this is the perfect time to rope you guys all in for a bit of help. Now, while I explain what's happening, I'm going to get all the children to come up and take their place on the stage around the manger. On you come, guys. Come and join me so you're ready. Narrators, make sure you're over this side so that you're ready to come up here when it's your turn. So, you guys are all going to have to help out. And on your way in, you should have received a little bit of paper. Can you wave your little bit of paper for me? Thank you. <laughs> I have a little bit of faith this might work now. <laughs> now, on your bit of paper, you will have a nativity character of sorts. Um, and when the narrator introduces you, you join in with your line. So, um, Jonathan, could we have maybe scene eight up on the screen? Scene eight has nearly everybody involved in it. So when you see your picture, if you're Mary, what are you going to say? The narrator will say, and Mary said. <laughs> so much for needing rehearsals. <laughs> and Mary said. Okay, and all the angels. Now our angels in our actual Sunday school, they're very good at announcing. They were doing a really good job. So you're going to give them an example, yeah? When the narrator says, and the angels said. Perfect. So when the angels say, when the narrator says, and the angels said, all the angels say. <laughs> if you've got a picture of Joseph, you are Joseph. And when the narrator says, and Joseph said. Very good. That's good because Joseph actually has the most acting to do because sometimes Joseph is quite worried. So when the narrator says, and Joseph said, and sometimes Joseph is quite excited, and Joseph said, brilliant. <laughs> now, the animals, you may, you may have received a cockerel on your way in. You don't have to cock-a-doodle-do on your own because the animals all speak together. So when the animals said, I didn't hear a cock-a-doodle-do. Okay, I think, are we ready? Yeah. Do, you, do you think they're ready? Are they going to help us out well? Yeah. Okay, let's begin. I've got scene one, just to get you started. And after I speak mine, then the next narrator will come up. If words for a song come up on the screen, there's no narrator coming, you're all going to join in again, standing to sing, if you're able, okay? And the musicians will just start. We, we have also seconded some of our older, older Sunday school children to the band this week, which is why we also need your extra help. sorting out our narrators. Come on. Okay, we're ready. Scene one. Just over 2,000 years ago, in a place a long way from here, lived a young woman called Mary. Now Mary was in love with Joseph, and she longed for the day that they might get engaged. One day, Joseph came by and called for her. Joseph said, Mary came running, and Joseph asked her to marry him. Mary said, and then quickly said yes, 
So Mary and Joseph were engaged. A few months passed and Mary was blissfully happy planning for the wedding. One day she was making some new plans for the big day when suddenly an an angel appeared to her. Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you, the angel spoke. Mary was afraid, but Mary said, Praise God. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found a favour with God. And the angel said, Will be born to you, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of Most High. Mary said, Praise God. You will receive and give birth to a son. Mary couldn't say anything at all. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit, so your child will be holy. It's called the Son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary said, Praise God. And what you may have said come to pass. The angel left, and and Mary went to find Joseph. Joseph, I saw an angel, she said. Joseph said, Oh, Mary. I am pregnant with God's son, and and we are to call him Jesus. Joseph said, Oh, Mary. Joseph walked away with a heavy heart. He loved Mary, but this was too much to bear. He would have to break off of the engagement for, for everyone's benefit. He went to sleep that night with lots to think about. But that night, in a dream, the angel appeared to Joseph. The angel said, A king among us. Is to be born, and, and, Mary will be, and Mary will be the boy's mother. Joseph, Joseph son of David, will will not be afraid to to take Mary home as your wife because what a convenience in her is from the Holy Spirit. She she will give birth to a son and you and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will be because he will because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up he ran to see Mary. Joseph said Oh Mary I had an amazing dream. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I will marry you and take care of the baby. Mary said, Praise God. So as the months passed and Mary's baby grew, Joseph stood by her. It was then that the Roman emperor called for a census. Mary and Joseph would have to travel to Bethlehem because that was where Joseph's family came from. Joseph said, it would be a long, slow, hot and dusty journey and even harder for Mary and the unborn child. But Mary remembered all the words that the angel said, will be born. And Mary said, And as they traveled, they passed sheep and goats in the field. And all the animals said, (laughs) 
Finally, we have arrived in Belém, explained Joseph. Mary said, Praise God. You rest here, Mary, and I'll go get us a room at the inn over there. So Joseph inquired at the inn, but soon came back to Mary full of concert. Joseph said, Oh, Mary. The innkeeper says he has no rooms left, and he says that all the other inns are full too. Mary suggested that we should ask together. Perhaps someone would take pity on them as she was so heavily pregnant. So Mary and Joseph went to an inn that Joseph had not tried yet. Joseph knocked on the door, and when the innkeeper answered and asked him, do you have a room for us? Joseph, the innkeeper said, Not in my inn. Joseph pleaded, Surely you just have a small room? The not, innkeeper said, Not in... I'm an amateur. I'm very sorry. Amateur. Amateur over here. Not in my inn. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. It's you, fine. You, you continue. You carry on. Can't... Can't you see Maria's pregnant? You surely have some space. The innkeeper said, Not in my inn. But you can use the stable round the back if you want. So Mary and Joseph entered the stable. Joseph said, Oh, Mary. But Mary was so pleased to have somewhere to stay that Mary said, Praise God. And around them in the stable, the animal said, So
Many miles away, some magi looked into the heavens, searching for meaning, and then said to each other, the magi said, One of them saw a new star rising in the east. The magi said, We are wise men. So we know what this means. It is a sign that has been foretold. A king is to be born. We must follow the star so we can worship the new king. So the Magi followed the star for a few days, and then the Magi said, We are wise men. But we are lost. <laughs> so the Magi started to ask everyone, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. King Herod heard of the Magi's search, and he called the Magi to him. Who are you? Asked, said King Herod. The Magi said, We are wise men. Where will this new king be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. Bethlehem, out of you, will, be, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Herod said to the Magi, You, in, you are indeed wise men. Go and search carefully for the, for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. The next day, the Magi talked about what King Herod had said. One of the Magi said, We are wise men. But last night, wait, but last night in a dream, I was told that it would not, that it would not be a good idea to tell King Herod where the baby is once we have found him. The Magi said, We are wise men. And we all agree. Let's quickly buy some gifts for the new king and then get out of here. And that is what they did. And they followed the star to Bethlehem. Meanwhile, on the hills above Bethlehem, some shepherds were gathered around a fire, keeping warm as they looked after their sheep. The shepherds said, We are and the sheep said, <laughs> The shepherds chatted and swapped stories around the fire as they kept an eye on their sheep. Suddenly, an angel appeared, and the angels said, We'll be born. Do not be afraid. I bring you good, you good news that this will cause great joy for all the people. You should go and worship him. But the shepherds said, We are the shepherds. The angel told them, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. To you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you to find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. The shepherds said, We are humble shepherds. But we will go and worship this new baby, this new king. And so the shepherds left the fields and went down to Bethlehem to find a baby wrapped in a manger. Thank you. 
So Mary gave birth to the baby Jesus. She wrapped him in a, in a cloth and laid him in a manger for his bed. Mary and Joseph looked at their baby, and Joseph said, Oh, Mary. And Mary said, Praise God. And somewhere, watching from above, the angel said, Baby Jesus slept, Mary rested, and Joseph sat in disbelief, and quietly the animal said, Bang, bang went the door, and into the stable came the Magi, and the Magi said, Not wise enough to be quiet, thought Joseph. We have brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh for the new king born today, the wise men said. Joseph looked at the gifts, and Joseph said, Oh, Mary. And Mary said, Praise God. The door banged again, and it, this time in came some shepherds. The shepherds said, We are among shepherds. They carried a little lamb, and then, and when the other animals saw it, the animals said, the door banged for a third time, and in walked the innkeeper. What's going on? I never agreed to a party. The innkeeper said, Not in my inn. Suddenly, a voice rang out, and everyone was silent, even the animals. The voice the vo was the voice of an angel watching from above, and the angel said, A king among us. Everyone looked at the baby Jesus, who opened his eyes, and the angel said, A king among us. The Magi and the shepherds knelt down before Jesus, and quietly the Magi said, We are wise men. And quietly the shepherds said, We are humble shepherds. And quietly the animals said, A king among us, exclaimed the innkeeper. He knelt down too. This baby is a king born. The innkeeper said, Not in my inn. But in my stable. As if, and as if it were poetry, the angel said, A king among us. Oops. <laughs> Joseph looked at the baby Jesus, and then he looked at Mary, and in a whisper, Joseph said, Oh, Mary. The angel said, A king among us. And Mary said, Praise God. And everyone joined the angels and said, A king among us. And everyone joined Mary and said, Praise God. to say that the kids are now going to sing the next song. You don't have to join in, but at the very last chorus, maybe you can just for fun. But watch them doing their actions, they're pretty good at it.
let me please, please just say a huge thank you to all of our children this morning, uh, both uh, who acted out in the nativity and those playing in the band. I think I can um, speak on behalf of all of us to say they were absolutely super. Um, maybe a bit of a round of applause for, for everyone who played and sang. You even managed to drag an absolute amateur like that innkeeper along with you. Uh, very well done. And let me also say a thank you to Sally and Alex and Lois, who were all particularly involved in organizing the nativity and the music this morning, and to all of the other leaders and helpers for all you did to make that possible. Again, a round of applause would be really super for those folks. Thank you. Now, for all of you children, something exciting is happening tomorrow evening. Um, if you're in primary school, um, from uh, 6 until 7 tomorrow evening, here in the church building, there is a Christmas party. And I don't think anyone here likes Christmas parties, do you? You do? <laughs> great. I'm pleased I got a response there. That was great. Um, your responses were better than their responses during the... So that was great. Um, it's the Monday Club Christmas party. Um, if you've never been to, to Monday Club before, you can still come. We'd love to have you. Uh, again, it's going to be um, 6 o'clock until 7 o'clock tomorrow night here in the church, and please come along if you can. Now, um, children, you're going to be able to make your way downstairs to change back um, out of um, shepherds and sheep and all sorts into your normal clothes and to have a bit of a game for a few minutes and wise men. Um, and if there are any other children who are here this morning, um, perhaps you haven't taken um, part in the nativity, but who are of primary school age and would like to head downstairs for a game for a few minutes, um, you'd be very, very welcome to do that. Um, as you guys head downstairs, I'm going to ask Lois to play um, a little bit of something on the piano and I'll come back up and read something from Hebrews chapter 9. So you guys can make your way downstairs as those please. Thank you all. Wonderful. Now, I'm just going to, to read for us, and we're going to spend just a few minutes um, thinking about a little part of the Bible together um, as the children are downstairs um, getting changed. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 9. And if you've got a Bible with you, um, it'd be great to have that open in front of you. If you don't, that's absolutely fine. The words will appear on the screen behind me as I read as well. I'm reading from, from Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll read just verses 1 to 15. And we'll spend a few minutes thinking about those together. Hebrews chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared in the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. 
These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of the Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Amen. Let me pray very briefly, and we'll think about those words just for a few minutes together. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so very much for the life and energy and excitement and fun of the children who've been um, acting out the nativity this morning and the gift that they are to us. And we thank you for your gift to us of your words that you've spoken to us clearly in the scriptures. And we pray, Lord, as we spend a few minutes just thinking about this part of the scriptures together, you would please be at work showing us what we perhaps can't see and what we couldn't see by ourselves, and bringing us into a greater realization of quite what happened at Christmas time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the young folks have gone downstairs for a game, and I thought we might have a very brief game up here for what I'll diplomatically call the not-so-young folks. That's what we are. So I'm going to describe a couple of Christmas movies... And I want you to shout out, you are free again to shout out, to shout out what film I'm describing, okay? The first film, Boy Left in House, Family, oh my goodness, <laughs> not even through it. What have you been doing all your December, just watching films? Home Alone was the answer to that one, well done. Um, second film, I'm going to even shorten the description I was going to give you to Grumpy Old Man. Christmas Carol, well done. And depending on how highbrow or lowbrow you are, you're either thinking of the Charles Dickens novel or the Muppets movie. I'm thinking of the Muppets movie myself, which tells you all you need to know about me. Now, it didn't take you long to guess either one, did it? Um, they're both very familiar stories, I guess, to many of us, Home Alone and Christmas Carol. And the films are fun to watch at this time of year. But I wonder if you've ever noticed that behind the, the, the funny pranks and the catchy songs... There are actually quite serious stories bubbling away in the background of both of them. Think of Home Alone, for example. 
Uh, on the face of it, it's a story about a boy who's been left at home on his own, funnily enough, at Christmas time, and about the pranks and the japes that he gets up to. But behind all of that fun and mischief, there is a deeper-rooted problem. The boy's relationship with his family is strained, and in fact, his relationship with his mother looks like it's hanging by a thread. Or the second example of a Christmas carol. Again, the story seems to be about an old man refusing to get involved in the fun and games of Christmas time. But behind that refusal, well, his relationships with, with pretty much everyone are absolutely toxic. And so what drives the story in both of those films, what actually makes both of them quite heartwarming at the end, isn't the mischief and the fun at all. It's estrangement or broken relationships and the tension around whether those broken relationships will ever, can ever, be mended. Now, you need to be careful not to analyse Christmas movies too closely, otherwise you start to see that they are all basically the same film. But the reason I'm mentioning that this morning is that that kind of tension tension around a broken relationship and the question of whether it can ever really be mended is not only a compelling one, it's one that is right at the heart of the Christmas story. See, one of the big threads that runs through the whole Bible is the problem of a broken relationship, not between a mother and a son, but between God and his people. The world God created, we're told, was fundamentally good. The Garden of Eden was a place of relationship between God and his people. God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, we're told. But those people rejected God, chose to ignore him, to go their own way. And that caused a fracture in that relationship. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, were sent away from God. And so the question that's left hanging all through the Bible is similar to the one that hangs over Christmas Carol and Home Alone, only on a much, much grander scale. How can that broken relationship, the relationship between humanity and our Creator, how can it possibly be mended? And in fact, that question isn't just one that hangs over humanity as a whole, it's one that hangs, or, hangs over each one of us. Adam and Eve aren't the only ones to have rejected God and gone their own way. The Bible tells us that all of us have. And so you see, this question isn't just a driver of compelling Christmas movies. It's a question that hangs over each one of us. How on earth can my broken relationship with God, the perfect, good, and right God, how can that broken relationship possibly be mended? And that's the question that our passage this morning answers. We're going to spend just 10 minutes thinking about that before we sing again. Let's think about it under a first heading. Next slide, please, Jonathan. Super, thank you very much. A good but incomplete answer to our relationship problem, verses 1 to 10. Now, if you've ever seen the film uh, version of A Christmas Carol, you'll know that one of the big puzzles in the story is that Scrooge, the main character... He doesn't actually think he's doing anything wrong. He thinks he's behaving quite reasonably. And so a fair chunk of the story is given over to various attempts to convince him 
that he has a relationship problem by ghosts of Christmas past and present and future. And it is just possible that as I've been speaking to you, even over the past couple of minutes, well, you've been thinking a similar thing. The idea that your relationship with God is broken, well, that might come as a, a bit of a surprise to some of us. You might need some convincing. And that's one of the big objectives of the first 10 verses of the passage we just read, Hebrews chapter 9, to convince us that we really do have a problem in how we relate to God. See, there were a number of anticipations of how this question might be answered throughout the Bible. And one of those anticipations is described for us in Hebrews chapter 9. We're told about something called the tabernacle. Now, if you've never heard of the tabernacle before, that's totally fine. We're actually told what it was in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 9. It was a tent, a great big tent that God told his people to make. And he didn't tell them to make it so they had somewhere to shelter from the elements. He told them to make it because it would be a place where he would come and live among them. And from what I've already told you, that in itself is an extraordinary thing. That despite our relationship breakdown with God as humanity, he would still want to come and live among his people. That's an amazing thing. But as you might have gathered from the reading, well, it wasn't entirely straightforward because the breakdown hadn't fully been mended. And in fact, people still kept rejecting God day by day, kept sinning against him. And so even in this whole tent idea, God baked a way in for that sin to be addressed, to be made right. We're told that the tent, the tabernacle, had two rooms. There was a first room or section in verse 2. And then there was a second section, a second room, verse 3. It was called the most holy place. And it was called the most holy place because that second room was where God, the perfect and good and right God, was. Now, only a high priest was allowed to go in there. He went in once a year to try and repair the damage in people's relationship with God. And he did that by making an offering. Not a peace offering like a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates. But verse 7, a blood offering. The blood of a bull or a goat. Now that might sound a bit primitive, perhaps even a bit barbaric to some of us, the kind of thing that you know, ancient and superstitious people used to do, but that's completely out of touch with the modern world today. But I suspect that part of the reason for us thinking of it like that is we don't fully appreciate quite how damaged this relationship actually was and is. Because you see, the point of a blood offering was that our relationship of God is so broken a rejection of him so serious that it demands a life. By rights, it demands our life, actually, but God made provision that another could be swapped in instead. Now, if Hebrews 9 and its various rooms and priests and offerings all sounded quite complicated and difficult, as I read it out a few minutes ago, that's partly because it was. And actually, that was kind of the point. Actually, just notice that with me. The author tells us as much. If you have a Bible, verse 8, the author says this. 
He says, by this, by which he means the offering, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. That whole tent idea, that whole offering process was meant to highlight our need for something more. To show us that the barrier between us and God is so vast, our relationship is still on the rocks. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, some of us might need to be convinced that our relationship with God is is broken at all. But others might have no problem in believing that there's a gap between us and God just from our own lives, from the regrets of our own experience. We know fine well that there's been some kind of irreparable relationship breakdown between us and God, except perhaps we have a difficulty believing that it's irreparable. Maybe we think we've an answer to the problem ourselves. And again, Christmas Carol is a good illustration of that. If you don't know the story of Christmas Carol, then I'm very sorry for all of the spoilers this morning, um, though there has, it has been out for over 100 years, so you've, you've had time <laughs> to read it. The story reaches a bit of a climax as this old miser Scrooge realizes that his behavior has been awful. And he realizes even more, if he doesn't do something about it, he's in big, big trouble. And so in the story, the solution that Scrooge is given to this relationship problem to fix those broken relationships is to honor Christmas and to keep it all the year. By which I don't think he means that he'll be eating mince pies in July, but that he'll try his best to love his neighbor, to show goodwill to all people. That will fix the problem. And that might be exactly how we try and solve our relationship problem with God. Try and resolve to be better neighbors, better bosses, better family members, better friends. Because if we can do that, well, then we'll start to just clear the slate with God by ourselves. But you see, Hebrews 9, the point of this passage is to show us that that just isn't good enough. We can't undo the damage or or, or make ourselves clean enough to come before a perfectly clean and right God. We can't fix our broken relationship with with him by ourselves. Not even a high priest could do that, not really. No, we need a better answer. Now, through the Old Testament, there were various other anticipations of what that answer might be, how this relationship might be fixed, but none were ever quite good enough until... Christmas. And that's our second point this morning, the once and for all answer to our relationship problem, verses 11 to 15. Now, the question that we've been thinking about as a church family over the past few weeks during Advent has been, why Christmas? Why did Jesus come? And you might be wondering what any of this has to do with Christmas, how this addresses that question at all. It doesn't seem very festive so far. There's a great big tent. There are offerings and high priests. It doesn't sound very Christmassy. Well, you see, the answer to the relationship problem we've been thinking about this morning arrives like a freight train in verse 11 and following. Just read the first four words of verse 11 with me. Let me read them out. But when Christ appeared... The arrival of Jesus, the birth of the Son of God, was a game changer. 
Now, the author spends most of the rest of the chapter explaining exactly how it was a game changer, but he summarizes all of that a few verses later in verse 26. Let me just read that verse for you. Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Why Christmas? Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to put away sin, says the author, to deal with the fracture in our relationship with God, to make it right again. And he did that, notice, with sacrifice. Not with blood from a bull or from a goat, but from himself. The blood he had taken up by being born as a human. Now, if you still aren't convinced that any of that is very Christmassy, well, it is right at the heart of what we've been thinking about in the nativity. Just remember the scene with poor Joseph fretting over what to do about Mary being pregnant. Can you remember what the angel told him? That's a quote from Matthew chapter one. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. See, right at the heart of the Christmas story is the solution, the answer to our relationship problem with God. Because that solution came, verse 11, when Christ appeared. Now, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, I wonder what you make of all of that, even of the idea that your relationship with God might be broken and that Jesus has come to fix it. You might be a little bit like Scrooge, not, not you don't like celebrating Christmas, but you're yet to really see the problem because your relationship with God, if, if there even is a God, looks just fine as far as you're concerned. Of course, you aren't perfect, but you aren't half as bad as some of the other people you know. Or perhaps you can see that there's a problem between you and God, only, well, it feels like you've got it covered yourself. You just need to work a bit harder at keeping Christmas all the year round. Then you'll have it sorted. Well, you see, God begs to differ. Our relationship with him is in real trouble, terminal trouble. And even the tabernacle, that anticipated solution, shows us that we were unable to fix it on our own. And that's why, you see, those words are absolute dynamite. When Christ appeared, the arrival of God's Savior, Jesus Christ, in flesh and blood is just wonderful news because he came to put sin away, to mend that broken relationship with God by dying for us. Now, don't just take my word for that. I'd really encourage you to take seriously the claims of the Christian faith for yourself. You can do that by reading one of the accounts of Jesus' life. There are copies of those in the foyer. And please do take one of those away with you when you leave this morning. Or maybe you'd like to come along to the course we're going to be running in the new year. It's called Hope Explored. Will you have the chance to think about all of that in a bit more detail? We would absolutely love it. And I really mean that if you came along to that course in January. Hope Explored. But perhaps you are a Christian this morning. You're wondering what to do with any of that. 
Hey, well, you might remember that if you've been over the past couple of Sundays, that one of the, the big objectives of this whole letter of Hebrews is to keep Christians going, to stop them from drifting away from the Christian faith and encourage them just to keep walking as Christians. And I wonder if you can see how Hebrews 9 helps us to do that, reminding us of the insurmountable barrier that existed between us and the Creator God, that no deed we could do, no offering we could make, no matter how well we kept Christmas all the year round, we couldn't deal with. But when Jesus appeared, he appeared to put sin away. So that that broken relationship could be, has been, if you're a Christian, mended. You can know God, the God who made you and loves you. You can know him now, and one day you will see him face to face, more clearly than you can see me just now. So if you do nothing else this morning, nothing else this Christmas time, then consider this Jesus. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let's thank him and praise him for his kindness to such as you and me. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Our God and Father, we come before you and acknowledge that each one of us have rejected you. And as a result, our relationship with you is broken. We are owed nothing but your rejection in return. But instead, you sent Jesus, born that first Christmas time, who lived a perfect life and who died a death in our place so that we can be rescued and welcomed into good and right and eternal relationship with you. We praise you for your kindness and ask that each of us would have real confidence and real joy because of that kindness. And that we would know that one day we will live with you face to face for all eternity. We ask all of these things for our joy and for your glory. And we do so in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a final carol. As the musicians come up to the platform, though, I mentioned a moment or two ago that the Hope Explored course, it will be running in the new year. We'd be delighted if you came along to that. If you'd like to sign up for the course or would like to request some more information about that, you can come and speak to me after the service is finished. I'd be delighted to have a chat. Um, or there are Hope Explored flyers that look a little bit like this that are in the foyer downstairs that will enable you either to sign up or to request more information. You can either do that by completing the, the flyer in paper format and posting it through a little box in the foyer or by scanning the QR code on the flyer and signing up on our website. Let me commend that to you. And please do come back. We meet here uh, on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. for our cookies and carols. That'll be a great time to gather together um, before Christmas. And then on Christmas Day itself, next Sunday at 11 a.m. for an all-age family service. Again, let me encourage you to come back. We would love to see you next Sunday morning. As we close, though, we're going to sing again a carol that we've already sung, but the words are profound and really chime with what we've just been thinking about. God and sinners reconciled.
Um, now, let me encourage you, if you're able to stand as the musicians play an introduction, please do that, and we'll sing together one more time, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, during which time the children will rejoin us, and after which the service will be over. Thank you all. Thank you.